Hello, and welcome to the turbulent world of Middle East soccer, or Mid-East soccer podcast. I'm your host, James Dorsey. Imagining himself as a peacemaker in a conflict-ridden part of the world, FIFA President Gianni Infantino sees a 2022 World Cup shared by Qatar with its Gulf detractors, United Arab Emirates and Saudi Arabia, as the magic wand that would turn bitter foes into brothers. It may be a nice idea, but it is grounded in the fiction that soccer can play an independent role in bringing nations together or developing national identity. The fiction is that soccer has the potential to be a driver of events, that it can spark or shape developments. It is also the fiction that sports in general, and soccer in particular, has the power to build bridges. Mr. Infantino's assertion that if foes play soccer, bridges are built, is but the latest iteration of a long-standing myth. Nothing could be further from the truth. Soccer is an aggressive sport. It is about conquering the other half of the pitch. It evokes passions and allegiances that are tribal in nature and that more often than not divide rather than unite. In conflict situations, soccer tends to provide an additional battlefield. Examples abound. The 2022 World Cup, this year's guttery Asian Cup victory against the backdrop of the Gulf States rift with the United Arab Emirates, Saudi Arabia, Bahrain, and Egypt. The imprint the Palestinian-Israeli conflict puts on the two nations' soccer, or the rise of racist, discriminatory attitudes among fans in Europe. The bad blue boys, hardcore fans of Croatia's Dinamo Zagreb, light candles each May and lay wreaths at a monument to their comrades who were killed in the Yugoslav Wars in the 1990s. They mark the anniversary of a riot during the 1990 match against Serbia's Red Star Belgrade, their club's most controversial match, as the first clash in the wars that erupted a year later and sparked the collapse of former Yugoslavia. Fact of the matter is that sports like ping pong in Richard Nixon's 1972 rapprochement with China or the improved ties between North and South Korea in the most recent Summer Olympics served as a useful tool, not a driver of events. Sports is a useful tool in an environment in which key political players seek to build bridges and narrow differences. The impact of soccer in the absence of a conducive environment created by political, not sports players, is a best temporary relief, a blip on an otherwise bleak landscape. The proof is in the pudding. Legend has it that British and German soldiers played soccer in a no-man's land on Christmas Day in 2014, only to return to fighting World War I for another four years. Millions died in the war. Similarly, Kurds 
Sunnis and Shiites poured into the streets of Iraqi cities, hugging each other in celebration of Iraq's winning in 2007 of the Asia Cup at the height of the country's sectarian violence, only to return to killing each other a day later. Soccer's ability to shape or cement national identity is no different. In other words, football can be a rallying point for national identity, but only if there is an environment that is conducive. The problem is that soccer and the formation of national identity have one complicating trait in common. Both often involve opposition to another. The problem is that the formation of identity is in an opposition to another. That is nowhere truer than in the Middle East and North Africa, where soccer has played and plays an important role in identity formation since it was first introduced to the region in the late 19th and early 20th century. Qatar has been in some ways the exception that proves the rule by plotting its sports strategy not only as a soft power tool or a pillar of health policy, but also as a component of national identity. That element has been strengthened by the rift in the Gulf and bolstered by this year's Asian Cup victory. Qatar's efforts to strengthen its national identity benefits from the fact that the Gulf state no longer operates on the notion that Gulf states have to hang together. Today, it's hanging on its own in a conflict with three of its neighbors. Soccer's role in identity formation in the Middle East and North Africa was often because it was a battlefield, a battlefield for identity that was part of a larger political struggle. Clubs were often formed for that very reason. Attitudes towards the country's monarchy in the earliest 20th century loomed large in the founding of Egypt's al-Akhli and al-Zamalek, two of the Middle East and North Africa's most storied clubs. Clubs in Algeria were established as part of the anti-colonial struggle against the French. Ottoman and Iranian rulers used sports and soccer to foster national identity and take a first step towards incorporating youth in the development of a modern defense force. Zionists saw sports and soccer as an important way of the development of the muscular Jew. To Palestinians, it was a tool in their opposition to Zionist immigration. And finally, soccer was important in the shaping of ethnic or subnational identities among Berbers, Kurds, East Bank Jordanians, and Jordanian Palestinians. In other words, soccer was inclusive in the sense of contributing to the formation of a collective identity, but it also was divisive because that identity was at the same time exclusionary and opposed to an other. The long and short of this is that soccer is malleable. Its impact and fallout depends on forces beyond its control. Soccer is dependent on the environment shaped by political and social forces. It is a tool that is agnostic to purpose, not a driver or an independent actor.
Thank you for joining me today. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. A written version of this podcast is on my blog, The Turbulent World of Middle East Soccer, at mideastsoccer.blogspot.com. Please join me for my next podcast in the coming days. All the best and take care.